0: Well, it is my hope this morning that you will be supported by His Word as you go out into the world. I hope that you will be supported by His Word, by this Word that He has for you, because this Word is trustworthy and true. Amen? It is. And I just want to encourage you in that today. That is what this sermon is all about. And I ask you, if you would, to turn to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, to chapter 21, which will be our text. And I'd like to begin just by reading the first six verses of Revelation 21. This is the vision of John given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. May this word sustain us and help us. Living in this present evil world can be very discouraging. It's discouraging as we look out and see all of the evil around us and it's discouraging as we look in and still see the residue of evil yet in that old flesh. It's discouraging as we face changes, not for the good, but for the worse, in the society around us. It's discouraging as we face all of the effects of sin in this broken world that we deal with, that weigh us down, that cause us to, walk with heavy steps and weighed down shoulders. A couple of years ago, I was walking through our neighborhood in the morning, just praying for the church, praying for myself, for my family. And as I was praying, it was one of those days when I was just very weighed down with all of the sin and the suffering all of the brokenness, the need still for spiritual growth, for repentance, for deliverance. Just weighed down about these things for myself and for you, for God's people. And I just just prayed, oh Lord, Lord, please deliver us, help us, change us, change me. And then as my custom, I moved into memorizing a passage of Scripture, and it happened to be Revelation 21. And I came to these words, from our Lord in heaven. From the very throne of heaven came these words, Behold, I am making all things new. And my heart was encouraged. It just... This was a word from God for me. You know what I mean? Have you ever had that? In the moment of my heaviness to hear God Himself say, look, I am making everything new. And I just echoed with an amen in my heart. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. But very quickly, my mind drifted back to all of the things that were weighing me down, the heaviness and the sin and the suffering. And, you know, like Peter, getting his eyes off the Lord and starting to look at the waves, I began to think, Lord, you've said you're making all things new, but I'm having a real hard time seeing it right now. Sin and suffering seem so never-ending. The brokenness is so deep. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that as well. And you know, we're waiting on God for that renewal, that revival, that salvation, that grace, that the the coming of Christ. We're waiting on the Lord for all of this renewing work. And and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And we, we say, Lord, how long? When are you going to make all things new when are you going to send revival when are you going to save when are you going to do a mighty work in this world and then in the midst of all of that you know internalizing again and and doubting and and discouragement and wondering if if god was ever going to to do this work Uh, I, I picked up the scripture again to memorize, and the very next phrase that I was memorizing was this. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And that was from the throne of heaven. It's like God read my mind. What an encouragement these passages. God saying, hey, you mark it down. I'll go on the record in writing about this. You have my word. I and making all things new. Just wait. You will see. And my hope is that this same text will encourage your hearts this morning with the full and final victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who makes all things new. Now, the concept of new things is not new, pun intended. Um, This was predicted by the prophet Isaiah so long before. You remember the prophecy of Isaiah, probably, if you've read through it. um, Or maybe you don't. So let me refresh your memory. The first, roughly, you know, the first part of the book, Um, is hard to read in a lot of ways. It's about God's judgment, about condemnation upon people for their sin and their rebellion against God. And friends, never mistake. God is a holy God, absolutely righteous in all His ways, who cannot abide evil. And, And that ought to be encouraging to us. No evil will ultimately persist in God's good world. He will deal with all of it. So the first half of the book, he's, he's, he's predicting judgments that he will pour out, even upon the people of Israel, even upon his own people, upon the nations around them for their sin and their rebellion. But then you come to about chapter 40, and it's almost like there's a real turn in the book. There's There's still elements of judgment, but the whole tenor of the book begins to change, right? And and now the Lord begins to point forward to a future glorious day for his people with words like this from Isaiah 42, verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. And in chapter 43, verse 18, He says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And He says in chapter 48, verse 6, From this time forth I announce to you new things. Things And he goes on to describe those new things, the suffering and the saving work of the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ingathering of all of the nations of the world into the kingdom of God and the future glory of those people, the glorious state of that people for all eternity and the people of God. He says, will be given a new name, they'll sing a new song, and they will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. All of this is Isaiah's prophecy. And all of that is the background then that John draws on by the Spirit as he foresees what is in store for the people of God. And John's vision, this book of Revelation then, ranges from the first... Advent to the second coming of Christ, it encompasses both the church's suffering and the church's glory and everything in between, culminating, of course, in the final consummation of history, the final plan of God in which he makes all things new. But this new work is inaugurated already. This new work is inaugurated in the establishing of the new covenant. Let me just point you to a bunch of different passages for a moment. We'll just kind of draw in together the threads of Scripture that speak about this new work of God. I say again, it's inaugurated in the New Covenant. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, quoting from Jeremiah's prophecy about the New Covenant, says in Hebrews chapter 8, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be, they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And the writer of Hebrews says, Now in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant gave these terms. Obey God, and you will live and prosper and be blessed. Disobey God, and you will surely die. But it also had embedded within it uh, a promise of a better situation to come. That promise was embedded in things like the priesthood that God gave the law about, that pointed to someone who could stand in the place of the holy God on behalf of his people. And the sacrifices by which their sins could be atoned for and covered so they would not come under the wrath of God. So even embedded in the law, in the old covenant, were these pointers toward something better, something greater. And Scripture predicted a day when the old covenant would pass away because it would be fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself, the one who would establish the new covenant. And so Jesus Christ kept the terms of the covenant. He obeyed God perfectly, and he suffered then the curse of, For covenant disobedience, all of these things he took upon himself in fulfillment of those terms so that we might stand before God on other terms, whereby our iniquities could be completely forgiven, wiped away, our sin might be remembered no more, and where we would receive the Spirit of God and obey God's law from transformed hearts. New things. The Lord has began has begun those things in the inauguration of the new covenant, which comes then secondly through the new man. The first man was Adam. First Corinthians chapter fifteen calls Jesus Christ the second man or the last Adam. That is Jesus Christ as the new man, is the head of a whole new race. Just like Adam is the head of a race which has been alienated from God, Christ is the head of a whole people who are reconciled to God. And when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we put on a new Man, a new humanity. We become a part of this new humanity. So Colossians chapter three, verse nine says, You have put off the old self or the old man, the old humanity with its practices, and you have put on the new humanity, the new man, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So on the one hand, he says, you have put on the new man. Let me tell you this, friends. If you're in Jesus Christ by faith, if you are united to Jesus by faith, by God's grace through faith, then you are definitively um, made righteous before God by virtue of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. By virtue of being wrapped in his righteousness, not your own, but his. And at the same time, it is not only something accomplished in the past, but it's got progressive effects in our lives. For The text says we are being renewed into the likeness of Him who is the very image of God. This is part of what it means that God is making all things new. He is renewing us day by day by day into the image of God in which we were created and uh, have fallen from, and in which we are now united to Jesus Christ. All of this has come through the new birth, the new birth. John 3, verse 6, Jesus said, you're very familiar with this. He said to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is what? It's flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The new birth is necessary. Our first birth made us sons of Adam. That was a, we're born naturally into the world. We're born into sin. We're born into condemnation. But the new birth is supernatural and causes us to be children of God by grace. By nature, we're children of humanity and so sinful and guilty by grace. We are born again into a new life. And that new birth then creates in us a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 speaks of this. The Lord says to His people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What does the Bible say about our natural hearts? They are deceitful and desperately wicked. But when the new birth happens, when we're born by God, we have a new heart. We have a new spirit. God himself does this miracle of new life in us, all of which then makes us a new creation. A new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold the new has come. This is exactly what Isaiah prophesied, right? The the old is going to pass away he said. The new is coming. Paul said that's 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 what happens when you are in Christ. The new creation is first realized when someone is united to Jesus. The new heavens, the new earth, the eternal blessings of the new creation are already coming into play for someone who is in Christ. He is a new creation. And to that new creation, Christ says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give a white stone with a new name. A new name written on the stone. That new name too was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 62, verse 2. The Lord had said to His people, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. No longer would he call his people, the people of Israel, forsaken and desolate. But now he would call them married and delightful. This is a testimony. This is a a prophecy of, of God's renewing of his relationship with a people, of bringing a a new people to himself, as it were, the bride of Christ, who is beloved for Christ's sake, not an unfaithful bride, not a bride who's put away, but a bride made spotless in the wedding garments of Christ's own righteousness. A new name, and with that, he fills his people with a new song, We've already seen in Isaiah that the Lord said, uh, sing it to uh, Isaiah said, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the ends of the earth. Uh, when God's people are saved, when they're filled with His Spirit, they sing, they sing praises to God. They have hearts full of thankfulness, especially thankfulness to Jesus, the Son of God, as the mediator of the new covenant in His blood. This is the way, I think, in which... John uses the term in Revelation. Back in Revelation chapter 4, we read of people praising God in a song of thanks because of God's sovereignty and His creation of the world. But then in the next chapter, in chapter 5, there's a new song of praise for God's new creation. Not only that he's praised as the creator of all of the world in which we live now, that old world, but praised as the creator of a new creation in Christ. We read this in verse 9, that those around the throne sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you, Jesus Christ, you were slain, and by your blood... You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And those who are truly redeemed are filled with praise and thanksgiving and a new song in their mouth for the new work that God is doing in them, the new birth, the new man, the new covenant. And in all of this, the Lord Jesus gives to his people a new covenant. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Of course, that commandment's not new in, in an absolute sense. God's people were always to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is new is the supreme example that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. Which of us who have really experienced the undeserved mercies of Jesus Christ could withhold mercy and grace from one another? How could I now dishonor the ones that you have loved? This is the new commandment. And in Christ, God also makes a new way or a new access for us to into the presence of God. Remember that under the old covenant, the people were kept out. The common people were kept out of the presence of God. You couldn't just wander into the temple. You'd be struck dead by the holy righteousness of God. Only the high priest could go in representing his people. And even then, only once a year with a sacrifice to go into the presence of God, lest he be killed. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, that we have confidence. I mean, just think about how radical this statement is to the, to the people who were first hearing it. We have confidence to enter the holy places. And he makes clear back in chapter 9 that it's not holy places made with hands that are actually copies of the heavenly places. He's talking about we have the we have the power to enter into heaven, confidence to enter right before the throne of God by, he says, the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Remember there was a curtain that separated people from the temple. You no one besides the priest could go beyond that curtain. But God has opened a new way for us to come right into the presence of God through that curtain, that is to say, through His flesh. Remember how when Jesus Christ died on the cross, His body was being ripped open by those nails on the cross at the same moment that God Himself was ripping that curtain apart, literally, physically, uh, spiritually, uh, not, well, physically, uh, but by his power, he was d- separating that curtain in the temple so that we might know that the way before God, the way to the presence of God, is made open to us. We have access to heaven, to God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I want you to know, I want you to think about whether you have access to God, whether you have access to heaven will you go to heaven when you die will you be able to stand in the presence of god the only way in is through the lord jesus christ by receiving what he has done in your place his suffering for your sin his obedience on your behalf the lord jesus christ is the new and living way and we can go to him now boldly can't we boldly in prayer Knowing, like Brother Jim said earlier, He's not only a God far away, but a God who is near through the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day we will be with Him in person. God Himself will be with us as our God, never to be separated from Him. Day or night we will see His face. There will be no sun or moon there because the Lord will be its light. And by giving us access to God, Christ has also brought us into the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. We saw verse 2, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you kind of have mixed imagery here, don't you? Here's a city coming down out of heaven, a city full of God's people. But it's also like a bride, a beautiful bride with her garments, her wedding garments and all of her jewels around her. Remember all of those jewels that the people of Israel had, the, the breastplate of the priest, all of that now comes into play. The bride is bedecked with her jewels. She's ready to be presented to God. There's a new Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about this as, quote, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And there God makes promises in Hebrews 12, that he will shake the old Jerusalem, the old temple, to, quote, remove the things that have been shaken, so that what cannot be shaken, the kingdom of Christ, may remain and be firm and established and in 70 AD he did exactly that he God brought as he promised the Roman legions to destroy that old Jerusalem and all of the vestiges then of the old covenant worship but that judgment was emblematic of his ultimate judgment of the whole world but we are delivered from that old Jerusalem from mystery Babylon from the city of man and have been translated by His grace into the kingdom of His dear Son, into the new Jerusalem, so that we now await the fullness of the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth. In its ultimate consummated form, there will be a literal, physical, new, made new earth and sky, heavens. Peter, I think, makes this clear when he says there was an initial earth, there was an initial world that God made in the space of six days. All of the physical world that we see was created by God in the space of six days. But it was destroyed and remade, as it were, by the flood. God destroyed the world that was and made a new world. And into that world, he sent the first man, so to speak, Noah, and he echoed the same things that he said to Adam and Eve, go forth, spring forth, multiply, fill the earth, take dominion over it, and God made a new world. But Peter says that that world, the world in which we live now, the post-flood world, is still awaiting a final renewal, one day when the Lord will destroy this world and remake it in a final judgment. And God will remake us. We'll be a part of that. I mean, not just spiritually, that we are already new part of the new creation, but even our bodies will be reformed somehow to enter into that new world so that we inhabit that world with bodies that will literally never die. Immortal bodies. What do those look like? I don't even know. Immortal bodies. And like Christ's resurrection body, our new bodies and the new earth will I'm sure, have much in common with the worlds that were, and yet be made new, whole, and perfect. Can you imagine living in a world that didn't have any effects of sin? I don't, I don't know if we even recognize where all of the effects of sin are. Not only in us and in society, but even in the, even woven into the actual creation. Even creation is groaning, waiting for God's people to receive their ultimate redemption so that the curse is lifted off the physical world, a new heavens and a new earth. John describes it here in verse three. new heavens and the new earth. What really is striking to me, when the Lord speaks of this new work that He's doing, the the new covenant and the new man, the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth, and and all all of the newness that God is bringing into the world through His Son, when He speaks of that, He says, not just, I am going someday to make all things new, Right? Nor does he say, I have made all things new, enjoy it. He says rather, I am making all things new. In the present tense, as though this renewal has already begun. That it is an active, ongoing work of God. Now, Some people have argued here in Revelation, and it could be that this is a present tense, but looking to the future. So it's a visionary present or a prophetic present tense, right? In the vision, he's seeing things as if they're happening now, even though it really is all only for the future. Someday God will make all things new, but not now. But I think there are two reasons to believe that what he's saying about, yes, the future, is actually already spilling backwards into the present right now. Number one, because the new heavens and the new earth also has roots in Isaiah's prophecy, right? You familiar with that? Isaiah also talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And when Isaiah speaks about it, it seems to have some kind of inaugural form that still has a place for sin and death, Isaiah 65, verse 20. Already, that new heavens and new earth has begun in some sense, it seems, from Isaiah's point of view. The future has already broken into the present as Isaiah looks forward to the coming of Christ. In other words, when Jesus Christ comes, friends, when Jesus Christ came the first time, eternity broke into this world so that the newness of all things in the age to come is already the present, ongoing experience of the people of God. I think that is the biblical eschatology. There is a, an inbreaking of those things already now, already inaugurated at the first coming of Christ, and the destruction of the old world of Jerusalem, already made new in Christ, but consummated with his second coming and the destruction and recreation of the entire earth, not just the old world of Judaism. And in the present, his people have a progressive realization of that newness of all things that he intends for the world. And the second reason I think that this is talking not just all about the future, but even right now, is that John is referring here not just to the new heavens and the new earth. He's referring to all things new, God says. Behold, I am making all things new, which has clearly already begun. Christ has already established the new covenant. It is already inaugurated. When he shed his blood on the cross, the new covenant was inaugurated. And its blessings have been um, begun. The blessings of a pure people of God. Though we're not yet fully pure, that is yet to come. There's an inbreaking of that into the present. And in Christ, we are already a new creation. Though we are not yet inhabiting the ultimate new creation, that is still physically yet to come, we are nevertheless a part of the new creation even now. We have already been made a new man, and yet we are still in the process of being, quote, renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. So there's an already and a not yet and an experience of all of that right now. What is yet future for the people of God breaking into right now. Already, the Bible says, you are dead to sin. You are dead. Have you ever felt that way? I'm dead to sin. (laughs) But the Bible says it. You're dead to sin. It's done. You are alive in Christ. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, you're already in heaven. You're already seated with Jesus at the right hand of God. You're already ruling and reigning with him over sin, death, suffering, all of the brokenness of the world. You're already more than a conqueror. And yet, of course, we are still instructed to put our sin to death. So that future reality is already spilling over into the present. We are to set our minds on the things above. So I think when the Lord says to his people in this vision, Behold, I am making all things new. I think we have the right to say, yes, he is. Right now, he is making all things new. God is at work in this world, friend. And this this is really where I wanted to bring it down to, to encourage you in this. That in spite of what you see, in spite of the brokenness and the sin and the rebellion against God that still is yet in the world, God is at work making all things new. He's at work making you new. Making you more and more conformed to the image of Christ. His work in the world and His work in you might not be as fast as you want it to be might not look the same in every place. You know, I, one Christian grows and produces fruit 30-fold, another 60, another 100. And some places in the world, it looks like the gospel's losing. But I tell you, in other places, it's, it's, it's gaining ground. And, 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 and when you take that the little sliver of history that we live in, and you begin to expand the view and see the larger picture of what God's doing, you have to encourage yourself with this, that in the long term, here's what God is doing. He is making all things new. It's happening. It's already begun. I mean, we're, we're, we're wanting Christ to come so we can have the fullness of it, but we, we have it even now. Not just a foreshadowing, a taste, a foretaste of that which is yet to come. It's already begun. I am making all things. Things new. But we look around and we say, you know what, if that renewal is ongoing, if it really is ongoing, I wonder if it's going to last. Because it doesn't look like it's going to last. We've seen some revivals here in our country. Oh boy, it sure doesn't look like revival right now, right? We look around and we say, will God's work ever come to fruition? Will it ever come to its conclusion? Is it going to be successful? Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. When will these things come to pass, we say to ourselves. Am I really believing the truth? Am I really on the right side of history? When we say God has history all mapped out, it, just, it sure doesn't look like that. Is he really making all things new? And I want to tell you, I want you to hear this word from God himself. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Believe it. He put it there for your encouragement to live your life in this world, to fight against your own sin, to spread the gospel to those around you, to live out your faith in every sphere of society, to encourage you. This is trustworthy. This is true. And then he goes even further than that in verse 6. I mean, can you imagine my walk that morning? And I read this, and then I was encouraged, and then I doubted, and then I read the next thing, and I was even more encouraged, and then... And then I read verse six, and he said to me, It is what? It's done. Wait, wait, okay, now wait a minute. Now I thought it was future, and now I'm realizing it's also present, but now he's saying it's past. What's going on here? He's saying, It's done. The whole new, the renewal of all things, the victory of my son over all things is already done. What? It's a similar cry to what Jesus Gave out on the cross, right? It is finished. Christ's death on the cross sealed the salvation of all of God's elect, although we still struggle to see the fruition of that in our lives. But it is done. Now, on the one hand, he says, I am doing this. On the other hand, he said, it's done. And my mind was thinking, How can that be? Is it ongoing or is it done? And Then I read verse 6, the end of the verse. (laughs) And this just capped it all off. Look at the end of verse 6. Or the middle, maybe. The Lord said, after he said it is done, I am the, what? The alpha and the, the beginning and the end. You know why it's, you know why it's, as good as done, because he started it. And if he started it, guess what's going to happen? It will will come to its, its rightful end. Because the sovereign of all of the universe is working this world to his predetermined conclusion. This too comes from Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 44 verse 6, listen to this. John echoes it in this vision. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, The Lord says, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. God says, I'm the first, I'm the last. I'm going to tell you what's going to be the future. You know why? Why? You know why I can predict to you what's going to be in the future? Not because I'm so smart, and I can cut, sort of figure it out and, and make a really better guess than everybody else. Because I set it in motion. I started it, and I'm providentially guiding it to its intended conclusion. And then he says in Isaiah 64, uh, 46, verse 9, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. See, it is because God is eternal. It is because He is the beginning and the ending of all things that what He is presently doing is as good as done. It is done in the plan of God, in the decree of God. And it is only being done in the outworking of history. All that are predestined are called. And all who are called are justified. And so how does that encourage me? I can preach and witness with confidence in the effectiveness of the gospel message to do the work. Those who truly belong to God, those who are truly His, have been, are being, and will be sanctified. And that encourages me to fight my sin, to persevere, to pray, to counsel with hope, to rebuke, and to exhort, because the Lord is making all things new. And what he determines, he will see through. Ultimately, Christ Jesus will conquer every enemy. All things under his feet. And so, what does that mean? I can means I can fight the spiritual fight. I can live out the gospel with courage and hope. Because Christ wins. In the biggest sense of the word, we are on the right side of history. We're on the wrong side of short term history, perhaps in some places in the world at times. But in the long story, we are on the right side. And one day we will be glorified. And because we will be, because it's a certainty, because it's done, remember, even Paul says, right? Those who are justified will also be glorified. The future is given to us as an encouragement in the present. How does the future encourage us now? It says, well, if, if, if this is going to be the case, then I can keep going. I can keep going. In the midst of discouraging news and a culture that's worsening in the face of getting old or getting sick, we are encouraged in the present by the certainty of the future as if it's already past because of the decree of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, And He has said, it is done. God's already written the ending, right? We may not know every twist and turn of the story, but we know the conclusion. And God has revealed it to us to strengthen us, to help us. He is the author and the perfecter. He began the good work, and He will bring it to conclusion. He who calls you is faithful. He will also do it. So when we're struggling with doubts and sins, with living in the brutal, ugly, present reality of sin and suffering, when it seems like to us that it's just going to go on and on forever, when we are overwhelmed by the world around us and the sinfulness within us, I hope that we may be encouraged to remember that God is making all things new. And when you doubt, that you'll hear the Lord saying to you, these words are trustworthy and true because I am the Alpha and the Omega. It is done. Amen. Father, thank you for this word. And the the strengthening of my faith that you have given through it. And I pray now that you would strengthen the faith of your people. That they too would hear your word in their minds at the time when they need it most. Your spirit would bring this to their attention. When they are about to give up in their sin. When they are about to be sunk down underneath the pains and the troubles of this world, pray that you would uphold them with the word of your might. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.